Welcome to Brain Health 365, the podcast focusing on innovative, holistic, and integrative approaches to brain health and healthy aging. Our host, Brian Brown, a national cognitive health expert, will discuss and interview top experts covering wide-ranging topics focusing on his 10 principles for brain health. We invite you to engage and join the conversation. Welcome to Brain Health 365, the podcast that focuses on strategies and solutions and innovative ways to improve your brain health. I'm your host, Brian Brown, and today we are pleased to have Dr. Lori Rogers Franco, doctor of psychology and expert and my colleague um, with us to discuss a number of issues today. It's the beginning of the year. And with the beginning of the year, there's a lot of things that people consider that they want to change. Uh, Some people do resolutions. Some people will will focus on certain strategies. And today we want to talk about, really, um, some mental health and some cognitive health skill building to help people throughout not just the new year, but throughout any time that they they have some issues. So, uh, Lori, thank you for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. So one of the things that we see around many times of the year, and in this time of the year, um, oftentimes people get stressed out. And mm-hmm. stress is one of those sneaky things that cause a lot of destructive things to happen to us. So on the cognitive side of things, we know that when you're stressed out, your cortisol level raises and, and cortisol is a killer of cognition, a killer of memory. People become forgetful and absent-minded. And so one of the things that that I always suggest is that people have to control their stress. But another Mm -hmm. aspect of that is stress is also uh, something that really is negative towards our mental health. Yes, absolutely. So so, so talk to us a little bit about that, Lori, um, stress and mental health. So something that happens is that um, when we're overwhelmed or stressed out, Um, our autonomic nervous system is impacted by that. And so that actually is, there's two parts to that. There's this uh, parasympathetic nervous system and the sympathetic nervous system. And most most commonly what's happening is that your SNS is being um, activated by um, that. So in other words, what will happen is when we're stressed out and feeling overwhelmed, then we tend to kind of go into this fight or flight mode or freeze even mode. And that really affects our ability to think clearly or even at it all. The brain is becomes very agitated at that point. And, and so how do we see that play out in, in people's mental health in terms of what, what do we see them start doing when they're, when they're stressed out, when they're, when they're in that either freeze or that fight or flight mode that you just referred to? So you can see a number of different things um, in that. It just depends on the person. So for example, some people get numb and they just shut down, may, mm-hmm. maybe even withdraw, start to isolate. Other people lash out. They're so overwhelmed that you may think, wow, I just asked a question and you might get this kind of response and you're thinking, whoa, right? So it can be, it can be, you know, different ends of the spectrum depending on the person. So people that love these folks and um, start to see this either withdrawal, shutting down, or this really quick to lash out, um, what, what do we do? How do we, how do we address that? Do we, do we automatically start to say, Hey, you must be stressed out. Give us some, some skills or some strategies that if we do see that type of behavior, how to approach the people that we love. Right. So again, (laughs) no cookie cutter answer to that one, but 
if you know, if you have a relationship with that person, you may have some idea on what's best on how you want to approach a person. Sometimes if you're that direct, that could cause further agitation, um, which obviously you don't want. So sometimes uh, an approach that may be more beneficial is just to come from a more supportive, caring approach where you might maybe not as direct about what you're observing, um, but kind of like the backdoor approach, I guess I would say, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in terms of, of the cognitive aspect, we see a lot of people uh, who are stressed out, their, their memory starts to wane. And that's one of the telltale signs that something's wrong. And, and typically when we see people losing, losing their cognition, it's a gradual thing, but stress mm -hmm. is one of those instant things that can cause what we call a pseudo dementia, where people are just starting to forget things because of what you said before, they're overwhelmed. Absolutely. So, yeah, the so those is, are the is agitated. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So those are the things that, that you need to look out for. Manage, look at people's stress levels because their stress oftentimes dictates their behaviors. Absolutely. So and you know, if you're in relation with, with someone, let's say a spouse or, you know, a significant partner of some sort, you know, you may see some of these behaviors and, and kind of that might be an aha moment for you where you might think to yourself, I wonder where I might step in and maybe take some of the, the load off or even not even knowing what it is, but just, you know, seeing how there may be running in this cycle and think, oh, let me, let me take care of that today for you. Yeah. You know oh, what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a, that's a great strategy to sort of help people manage their stress in, in that capacity. Right. And then once you observe that they're sort of not in that place of agitation anymore, that may be a more appropriate time to have a dialogue about what your real concerns are. Excellent. That's awesome. That's really good to hear. So this time of year, um, we see a lot of people um, really in a in sort of a thoughtful way of wanting to be a better version of themselves. Mm -hmm. And we, you mentioned this term before being overwhelmed, but we want to be a better version of ourselves. Mm -hmm. How does one go about doing a better job of goal setting so that they don't end up overwhelming themselves? What's what's the process mm -hmm. of uh, of our ability to be able to do that? Well, you know, when you said that, the first thing I thought about was something you sort of mentioned at the top of this, and that is, you know, New Year, New Year's resolutions, all that kind of stuff, right? So one of the things I would say that's very, very helpful is really to, you know, sit down with pen and paper and really think about what's your long-term goal? What, what is it? And, and be very clear and very specific about it. And once that is identified, then I think it's very important to then break it down into smaller steps or baby steps right? Really break it into chunks so it doesn't feel so big, right? And then once you have the baby steps there, I think the main thing at that point is the action. So practice moving in that direction regularly and consistently. Now, in terms of looking at um, even setting some of these baby steps uh, in place, is this something that we need to share with someone for accountability? Or is this just something that we kind of hold on to, our, to ourselves and, uh, and sort of figure it out on our own? So in my opinion, um, I think that that depends on the person. Some people work really well with having an outside source, keeping them accountable. Other people do not function that way. Sometimes that's just another added stressor. Hmm. That's, that's, that's interesting. You have to know your audience and know yourself. Know um, yourself. Know yeah. yourself because, you know, sometimes it's like some people go, oh, you know, I really want to do X, Y, and Z, but, you know, I want to do it on my own in case 
I trip up and I don't stay on task. I don't want to hear the the outside criticism, so to speak, or whatever, because mm-hmm. then it just kind of feeds into what they're already, what they may already be doing to themselves already. So it really depends on, yeah, you got to know yourself. And if you, you know, what has been your history in the past, you work better where you're just sort of on your own and you can be accountable within yourself, or do you need that kind of extra push a little bit? You know, that that's, that's really good news because a lot of people think that there's a one size fits all to everything. And so yeah. you saying that you have to know yourself, everyone's individual aspects are at play 100%. Uh, in, in terms of um, how I guide people through a cognitive process. Um, goal setting is really important um, yeah. because they want to, let's say, uh, have have resigned to improve their cognition. There are certain steps that they want to go to. Um, what you said earlier is very true because if I give them an exhaustive list of all of these things that they have to do to improve their cognition, that goes back into the overwhelm and the stress that we just uh, talked about. Yes. Mm-hmm. So really being able to give them bite-sized pieces for them to set goals is where I live when, when I counsel people in terms of trying to improve their cognition. And, and this is something that we do together actually on the job is, is to be able to um, produce that kind of those, those goals for people so that they can improve um, their, their, whether their mental health or their cognitive status all the way around. Mm -hmm. I agree. So let's talk about relationships for a a quick second. We've been kind of alluding to them and kind of moving in and out in terms of saying that they're part of everything. In in terms of um, relationships proper, relationships, there's good, there's bad, and there's ugly. And, and, and each one of those categories that you just talked about affect your mental health. And it could be in a positive way or a negative way. So let's talk about really the, the impact of, of relationships on the totality of whether it be good, bad, or ugly in, in the mental health continuum. Right. Okay. So a hmm, couple things about that. <clears throat> uh, I come from a cognitive behavioral therapeutic orientation. So I really look at um, folks' thought processes that they utilize, not only with themselves, but with others. And that plays a huge part in what goes on in the dynamics of a relationship. So in other words, um, one of the things I really introduce to people to kind of get the, kind of increase their awareness is uh, a concept of cognitive distortions, which basically it's just faulty thought patterns. That's mm-hmm. what it is. So when we utilize um, those types of thought patterns, not only does it place expectations on ourselves, but many times on others. And when those expectations are not met, there's all these residual or, or buildup of feelings that occur um, that don't always feel good, whether it's resentment, sadness, anger, what have you. And then based on those feeling states, then there's a behavior that follows. Hmm. Now, I always talk about, and so does CBT, that our thoughts and feelings are, are always valid, whatever they are, but it's it gets slippery when it then starts to translate into behavior because behaviors can be appropriate or inappropriate. Yeah. So, you know, I try and go straight to the heart of it with, you know, the thought processes because it's sometimes when we're in relationship with people, these things are going off, not even aware of it, and it affects that other person. And then it's a, it's a, like a dance that then occurs between the systems. Yeah. Yeah. So 
you've seen functional relationships that, that go really well and are, are really edifying to good mental health. Mm-hmm. And you've probably seen some really toxic relationships that uh, are erode um, mental health. And, and in terms of looking at certain features that you know through your uh, clinical excellence that are always sure to erode mental health within our relationship. So what are some kind of red flags we can, you can give us in terms of if, if this is sort of um, around your relationship, it has the potential to do some, some mental health damage. It's just, just, just kind of like some guideposts. Is there anything that you can, you can give us? Well, there's, yeah. Okay. So let's start with, okay. The cognitive distortions are one, because let's think about it. I've heard this so many times from one unit in the the couple, let's say that will say, well, he should have known blah, 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 Mm -hmm. you know? And so it's like, okay, but but then, you know, a, a person can't read your mind. It's, it's, what is more beneficial in the relationship is clear communication. So if there's, if you're wanting something from someone, there's a way to explicitly state that not in a demanding way, not in an aggressive way. So communication is huge, especially when we're talking about our relationships, because sometimes, you know, even in the the good ones that you talk about, you know, some of these things still happen. And then, and then there's this confusion, like what the heck just happened here? Sometimes we don't know how our words impact another person, therefore the relationship. So that's the first thing. The other thing then, and this it's all combined, has to do with healthy boundaries in our relationships. Mm. Many times what happens is, um, you know, we want to, we want to, to care for people. We want to do for people. Um, we love people, you know, and, and so what will happen is we'll, we'll keep putting things out, putting all of our energy out without bringing any energy back in until we're kind of depleted. And at that point, that's where the resentment can come up, right? Mm, yeah. Not intentional. We, you know, we were doing these things from a place good in our heart, but when things are out of balance, things become problematic, even in the best relationships. So, you know, what you say is, uh, is really good advice. Uh, one of the things that, that, is an overflow of what I deal with when with people dealing with cognitive issues is their family comes together and we see family dynamics on display. <laughs> yes. These, you know, we have a, a, let's say a parent who is now going and being diagnosed with Alzheimer's or another form of dementia. The, all of the siblings come into play, the out-of-towners and the control freaks and everything like that. And they all now want a say in the care for their, um, for their mom or their dad. And it becomes really dysfunctional sometimes. And it, what you just talked about, that relationship piece, the lack of communication that happens where one person just is out there and wants to be heard and overtalks everyone because they have the dominant voice. And you'll see the reactions of the other siblings. And it then becomes a mess and someone shuts down just what you said earlier someone yes, shuts down yep mm-hmm. <laughs> yep and and we can't even get to the heart of the issue which is to discuss the care and treatment for their their parent because mm-hmm. all of those other dynamics are at play some of the things that you just touched on absolutely so i can't say how important it is that communication piece that you said we're not mind readers we don't we, we can't read your mind so right. there has to be effective clear communication otherwise 
you're here for potentially to help your, your, your parent, loved one, get the care that they need, but you can't even communicate with each other. Right. There's a breakdown already. Breakdown already. I see that. And it, and it, you know, so what we're talking about is near and dear to both of our hearts because (laughs) it's just right out there. And there just needs to be some skill building so that one, the right thing can happen for the, for the parent or, or the, the loved one who needs the care. Mm-hmm. And, and really, we just need to bring it to our consciousness. I always like to say this saying um, that it's about getting it right, not being right. And I, and I know there's so many people that they're, they operate from a place of they have to be right at all costs and they die on the cross be, trying to be right when the situation <laughs> is just a mess, but they were right. And right. we see all of that confusion happening. And so it, it's really important to know that even in times of crises, we see mental health being challenged and fragmented because we, we don't know the emotion, the, the appropriate response to what's happening at that particular point in time. Totally agree with that. So, so let's talk a, a little bit about um, what, we, what we see in terms of um, how we choose to share things and the mental health um, that goes into that. Um, right now, we live kind of in an era where people like to share everything on social media. Mm. Um, and they live their their life completely out loud. Mm-hmm. And we know that there's a lot of young people and a lot of other people that are really suffering in their mental health because of what social media can do to amplify things that were unintended at that, right. that point in time. So, so kind of give us a little bit of insight on, on mental health and social media and, and maybe give us some, some rules and some guidelines on sort of how to navigate that world. Ooh, boy, that is such a loaded question. Okay, so, you know, more research is clearly needed in this area, like you kind of alluded to. However, um, there have been some studies done and the consensus, consensus seems to be that there is a strong link between heavy prolonged um, social media usage to um, increase in things like depression, anxiety, loneliness, self-harm, and even suicidal ideation. Now, it's not to say that there's not some benefits because clearly there are benefits to um, utilizing social media, you know, like, especially for those that may be, you know, homebound or whatever, you know, they can connect um, socially, um, they can, you know, have peer support, this and that. But, you know, again, you know, I think balance is key. Balance is really key. And so that you don't sort of get wrapped up in it. And the next thing you know, it's like four hours later and you were supposed to, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, you know, there's a, there's really an actually a really good article just on that. It's, um, it's the journal of technology and behavioral science. And it, the article specifically addresses this issue hundred percent. It was, it came out in April of 2020 you know, so right, you know, yeah. at the, the very beginning of COVID and all of, you know, the shutdown and all that kind of thing. But um, I think the author is like Nesland or something like that, but it, it's a great resource. It really addresses very specifically uh, the dangers of it and, and some of the benefits. But again, it, it does say that, you know, clearly more research is needed, but it's in my opinion, my humble opinion and, and what I have seen directly, I think the key is it can be a good tool, but there needs to be balance. And, and so it, and then there's probably age appropriate nature in terms of sometimes um, the younger, uh, they need probably some guidance with the balance. Otherwise, it could tip the other way. Oh, a hundred percent. Yes. So is, is there, 
Uh, and this leads kind of into the next question. So basic differences in terms of men's and women's mental health, um, that men may have different issues that they perseverate on versus, versus women that affect their mental health. It's the same with cognition. We see that men and, and, and women, um, they, they'll show some, some different signs and symptomology in, in, in their cognition in terms of how it's, how it's displayed in terms of the lack of and the, and the tricks and tips that they, they, they use to, um, to sort of hide and euphemize um, what may be happening based on their gender um, and their gender roles and things along those lines. So in terms of mental health, um, what, are some, what are some things that may be more obvious in terms of uh, that affect women's mental health versus things that are more obvious that affect men's mental health? I, I'm not sure about what's more obvious, but what, what came to mind as I was listening to you speak is that women versus men tend to internalize what's going on for them. So that can then lead to things like, you know, depression, right? Um, men, however, tend to externalize. So you'll see maybe some acting out behaviorally, maybe there may be some substance abuse or overuse, yeah. right? Um, the thing too, to note is that um, men are less likely to seek treatment. Huh. So that is that is really important to note. It's it, it's interesting. We say the same thing that you know women are the drivers of healthcare, and women are the first to to seek out things when when for example their cognition isn't quite right. And uh, unfortunately, men men are deniers, and <laughs> and and we will try and trick you to think that everything is going it's all good. Yeah, it's all good for as long as we can. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I guess certain things are just the same in, in, in all of our fields that uh, mm -hmm. women just have a different, more honest way of looking at things, whereas uh, men seem to, uh, to put it off as long as we can. Um, so in terms of, so, so let's, let's keep on going down that path. Sure. Um, men are reluctant to seek treatment. Mm -hmm. and, and we know, you know, specifically the harm that um, residual and continual um, you know, mental health, what it can, what it can do to you. And so by, by men not seeking health, what are some of the, the things that, um, uh, poor outcomes we see as a result of the lack of, of sought after help? Uh, well, you know, for counseling, for, for mental health services, it's, it's really emphasized to get help sooner than later, because what can happen is, is that things become ingrained. Right. So, you know, I was talking about faulty uh, thought processes earlier or cognitive yes. distortions. So, you know, when you continually try and um, function in a certain way and it's a dysfunctional way of operating, it's very, very hard to then kind of steer it in another direction and break some of that stuff, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So, um, so, so to, to look for certain things, I'm not sure about that particularly, but it's just, it's really kind of getting the information out there that sooner is better than later. Sooner is better than later. And, and really uh, for the, for the really overall health of everyone, um, yes. healthy, functional parents, healthy, functional professionals, teachers and the like are better um, getting, getting help than not. And so the, the better, the earlier, the better, and to have it on a residual basis, like getting a, you know, getting a checkup or a tune-up. 
So, and you know, it's just, I'm sorry to, to just speak on that real quick. It's like, when I hear you say that, absolutely. The first thing that popped in my head is self-care, you know, don't wait until things are off the rails. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's about every day, really checking in with yourself and, and seeing, you know, what am I needing? What did I miss today? What, you know, where can I kind of do tomorrow differently? You know, that me time, if that's what you're needing, whatever, just, and it doesn't have to be anything grand, but it's very, very important to kind of fill up your cup again at the end of each day. You know, that, that point of that check-in is yes. huge. Mm -hmm. um, so what I usually end up seeing is that people are a day late and a dollar short, meaning <laughs> that they become and address their cognition when it becomes a glaring problem. Meaning right. They start getting lost. They, they are, their forgetfulness has really started to affect them. And that's when they address it. Going back to, you know, your, your advice earlier, and this is what we espouse as well. You need to normalize in my field, memory screenings, like you normalize cholesterol checks. Wow. So every year, you know, you, you first, you start off with a baseline of where your cognition is. Mm -hmm. And then year over year, we compare you at 2021 with the version of you in 2022 with the next version of you in 2023. So mm. we can start to see these subtle changes in memory and thinking when they happen, as opposed to now what we were just saying before, you can't remember anything. And now it's starting to affect your activities of daily living and right. you're a day late now, as right. opposed to having addressed it before. Exactly what you were talking about, checking in with yourself mm -hmm. early and often yes. so that you can be the best version of yourself specifically as you age. A hundred percent. I agree. So, so yeah, so we really need to have those check-ins and, and be, and be honest with ourselves about what's actually going on. And what do you think it is that we aren't honest with ourselves? What are, what are those barriers to, to the honesty that sometimes we lack when we know sort of intuitively we're off? Why, why, why don't we, why don't we admit it and, 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 and go seek care or treatment? What's going on? The biggest thing that just popped into my head is the word shame. Mm. You know, there's still to this day, so much stigma with mental health. Wow. You know, there's just this thing that it's, it's not, you're, it's not okay if you're not okay. And that's <laughs> so wrong. That's so wrong. And, you know, here's the thing is that you know, especially if you think about the older generation, oh no, you don't go to counseling. And then not only just, am I addressing like the ageism part of it, yeah. there's a cultural component that goes into play here. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, those are two very important things that you have to really take into account when you, you know, you're thinking, wow, you know, this, this service would be so helpful for you, but it's like, there's this mindset that gets in the way and it's really an obstacle. You know, yeah. some cultures, you know, it's specifically African-American, African-American cultures do not believe in, in therapy. Their go-to is more going to be on the religious side of it. Go to the religious leader. Let's consult with our pastor, yeah. right? That's yeah. more acceptable than going to, let's say someone like me, right? Yeah. A therapist. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so we see the same thing, believe it or not, on the cognitive health side of things. Um, when it comes time for memory screenings and things like that, um, 
we'll see certain segments of the population not participate in 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 that as well mm -hmm. um because there's there's fear and shame that's involved if all of a sudden if you say that something's wrong with my cognition i'm going to be ostracized in my community and and so on and so forth and 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 yeah we do see certain minority populations shy away from that um certain age demographics to say, well, I'm too young for that. When we know that things like mental health and cognition, there's there's no age barriers to that. That's but, right. But 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 they will shy away from it because they say, well, I'm only I'm in my 40s or I'm in my my 50s. That's an old person's disease or something like that. And so we see the ageism that you just talked about before that is prevalent that keeps people from being proactive about their about their care. So the, the, these barriers that pop up for um for whatever reason, we, we need to shatter them. We need to to really normalize one mental health, like you yeah. said, and and mm -hmm. cognitive health as well. That Absolutely. that there are certain things that that pop up that we can help you with your cognition if you let us. But if right. you if you stay away and and are cloaked in guilt and shame and fear, um, it's only going to get worse. And that's where that you're a day late and a dollar short when crisis happens. Oh, and you, and I was going to mention that, but you said it, the fear, not only is it shame, there's fear. Can you imagine getting, you know, definitive information that your memory is starting to deteriorate the reality of that alone? I mean, there's just so many unknown variables. That's very scary, right? Yeah, it is. It, it is. And, but we have to start to create, and, and this is what the podcast here and other, other modes of information that we have to start to normalize the, the truth and the reality of our human condition and want to support and help each other so that we can live the best quality of life that we can. Right. So closing here, I have one, one other issue that, and this is what a, a number of our listeners have, have chimed in about. And so I, I kind of waited um, for you as a guest to sort of um, bring this and it's, it's this issue of trauma and mm -hmm certain things that have happened to people at different times in their life that may have not been addressed or dealt with and how that consistently creeps into their mental health. And so give us a little primer on, you know, trauma or traumatic events and how that could have a longitudinal or, or latent effects on your mental health over time. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things I talk about um, is shaping experiences. Mm. So, you know, for various reasons, there can be issues in a family of origin where a child is um, trying to just survive. And there may be multiple developmental traumas along the way. Now, as an adult, that child may hang on to whatever coping skills they developed in that particular environment um, that as an adult get played out or triggered um, but aren't really necessary anymore. So what I'm saying is, is that trauma affects the nervous system and the body remembers. And unless there's some type of corrective experience via, let's say, psychoeducation and psychotherapy, then that child now adult is going to continue to engage in the coping mechanisms that, that were enabled them to survive in an environment that was unsafe. Mm. So not only is the nervous system affected and the body remembers, but then the brain gets triggered from the memories, right? Or even yep. cues 
that, you know, it's, it can become uh, hypervigilant, right? Yep. And so uh, the brain can misread or misinterpret cues and then the person then reacts accordingly. So that is a, sounds like we need to spend a lot of time on that topic um, because I have a lot to say on the cognitive side of that as well. But unfortunately, we found ourselves at the end of our episode today. So okay. that just sets the stage for us to continue the dialogue. And so I'd like to thank you very much, um, Dr. Rogers Franco, for um, joining us today and yeah. uh, to, to really give us some information about uh, mental health uh, and juxtaposing that with uh, cognitive health and looking forward to our uh, meeting up again. And so again, uh, we'll see our folks on our next episode of Brain Health 365. Thank you for joining us. We encourage listener engagement and invite you to submit your brain health questions to us at questions at brainhealth365.com. Be sure to follow us on socials and download Brain Health 365 from wherever you get your podcast to stay up to date on the latest episodes. Join the conversation.